At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome, friends, to Infertility and Me podcast. A safe space created with the silent sufferer in mind, I Am Podcast is dedicated to infertility advocacy and sharing diverse stories to help you feel validated, seen, and heard. I am your host, Monique Farouk, and I am one in eight, two. Hearing is best when done together. Hey friends, could you please do me the honor of leaving a 5-star rating and review in Apple iTunes? This will increase our show's ranking and reach more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. We're stronger together, staying connected, getting plugged in. This has been a hard season for everybody. So um, being able to say that I'm okay, that's that's good for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, um, like you said, it's it's different for you on every day, sometimes by the minute, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes by the second. Are you working from home? I am working from, from home. I've been working from home uh, since March of last year. So almost a year. Wow, 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 wow. How long have you been trying to conceive, dear? For about four years now. Okay. And so I'm pretty sure a lot about you and who you are has changed and maybe things that you didn't notice before or things that didn't stand out to you before are different. So how, how, have, how have you become different, whether it's positive or neg- negative? How are you different now than you were four years ago when you first started trying to conceive? Mm-hmm. I think I'm a lot more determined um, and because I feel like at each step I'm getting closer, I'm less likely to give up. Um, <laughs> and so it, it's just been, I think I'm getting a little bit stronger, even though it's, it's difficult. Um, there's a way that I am actually getting stronger, the closer I get to it, the more resources I get. Um, I think that, um, I came, I began the process thinking like, it's just a matter of money and <laughs> being able to, you know, find like money and sperm. If I have money and sperm, it's going to be fine. Um, and then I had money and sperm and, and it mm. wasn't. <laughs> mm. and so I think. I'm not sure four years ago if I knew that, you know, like I would 
actually have a diagnosis of infertility, that it wasn't just a matter of money and sperm. I, I may have thought, you know, let's give up. But at this point, I am, I'm still trying, which I think might be a change in my, my energy. And um, are you looking for love? Is that something that's on your radar or is it something that you're just trying to, you're leaving it to God or you're leaving it to the universe to decide for you? I think that uh, I am at this point, definitely leaving it to God. I, I have a strange journey. Um, I actually have been single for most of my life, like single, single, not just unmarried. Um, mm. I, you know, I had my first relationship when I was 30, 39, 39 years old. Yeah. Um, so the, close to two years ago, you know, went on my first date when I was in grad school, like, just, it just never happened for me. Um, and so I had to get to a point where I had to decide, like, I want to be a mother more than I want to wait for a partner in order to be a mother because it, it the wait may be too long. Um, so yeah, in my mid thirties, I, I just decided to figure this out, um, on my own, figure out how to find a donor, how to connect with, you know, folks who do IUI um, and eventually IVF. But, you know, I decided like once, you know, if I, when I get to my, the end of my life and I am, you know, going on the glory, what is it that I will regret if my life is the same? And it was more that I would regret not being a mother than I would regret being single or not being married. So that's pretty much what sent me on this journey. You say that you you had, uh, there was a moment or a time when you just started feeling like, okay, I, I would like to be a mom, even though I'm not in a long-term relationship at the moment, you know, and I don't know when it's going to happen for me. So what do, would, would you describe it as something like your biological clock? It started ticking for you, you know, how we always use that saying. Yeah. Biological clock is ticking, girl. Come on and do it. You right. know, <laughs> right. what's going on, you know, and I'm pretty sure... Right. Family probably was always inquisitive about, you know, they love you, but they try to be in your business a little bit, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. It's that I was walking around in college talking about my, like 18, 19, talking about my biological clock is ticking. And I didn't even really know what I was talking about. Um, <laughs> I, I was always someone who wanted to be a mother and always felt like I was, you know, I need to hurry up and be a mother. Um, even when I was, you know, a kid, like even when I was, you know, too young to even really be a mother. And then so by the time I got to be like in my late teens, early 20s, I felt like it, there was a rush to become a mother. I had no idea how I would become a mother or anything to that effect, but it was always something that was in me pulling me towards motherhood. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, it's really interesting that I am going on 41 and I still am not a mother. Um, but yeah, it's it, that sort of feeling of like this strong pull towards motherhood um, has, as long as I remember myself has been there. Um, so it's like the irony of life that this is where I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've met so many, so many other women who feel the same way, you know, whether in relationship or not in relationship, Right. They, they they describe it very similar, but of course we get to our destinations completely differently, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, paint us a picture of what it was like 
going through your OBGYN, look, letting her know, like, look, I, I want to prepare to have some eggs retrieved, possibly. Where did, where did that all begin for you? Were you knowledgeable about uh, fertility treatments prior? Not really. Um, so about four years ago, I, you know, I started looking for a donor. I wanted it to be someone who I knew. Um, at that point, I didn't know that I would actually have kind of physical complications getting pregnant. Um, but I, you know, was trying to do it sort of as natural as possible. So like the quote unquote turkey baster method. Um, I was thinking that I could try to do it on my own. I had a friend who, you know, did that on her own with another friend. Um, mm. So I thought, you know, like, let me try to do that. Um, took me a minute to find a friend who would be willing to be a donor, but I did. Um, we tried, you know, that method on our own. It did not work. Um, then I sought out a midwife that does um, at-home IUI. Um, and then there, you know, we didn't actually do that. Um, but, you know, we, we were in kind of conversation for a while to, to do it um, and tried again a couple of times on my own, but it, it didn't work. And then went back to this same midwife um, actually on my 40, 40th birthday, um, that was my birthday gift to myself to figure out, you know, how to really make this happen. Okay. Um, and a few months, months before that, I was actually diagnosed with, um, multiple myeloma, um, the sort of pre-cancerous version of multiple myeloma, which is a blood disease, um, that can be cancerous, um, because of that, the midwife said, like, let me actually send you to a reproductive endocrinologist, um, because I feel like this might be something that might be more complicated. Um, uh, and so that's actually how I ended up um, going into IVF and like finding out that there were kind of bigger issues there, meeting with the reproductive endocrinologist. Um, finding out that I had a, a blocked fallopian tube and a rather large fibroid and um, things that I I wasn't aware. I knew I had fibroids. I didn't know that they that they were causing that much trouble. Um, it actually took me getting a hysteroscopy, um, like a surgical one, on, you know, under anesthesia and like to figure out that, you know, there was this huge fibroid there that was creating all this trouble. Wow. Um, and so since then I've done like, I've done two rounds of IVF that have failed. Um, and then we're this month I'm doing some testing, um, to see what else could be going on. I did have part of the fibroid removed. Um, but they're, they're a little bit stumped as to like, after removing the fibroid, like what the actual issue is. So we're going to do some more testing to see. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where I am. Wow. Goodness gracious. I mm -hmm. feel like, daggone it, like when? When I'm, I'm listening to you, you know, explain where you are and where you've been and gave us a little bit of history, you know, and 
And I just feel like it's this, uh, I'm hearing like, you know, when can I get a break or, you know, when, when will I get some relief? That That's a lot to go through and a lot to deal with. And are you, are you receiving and getting the support that you need from your loved ones to help you through this? Yeah, I think, you know, I have, you know, my mother, I'm really close to my mother. I have, my, I have one sister who I'm very close to. I have other sisters, but there's one sister that I'm very close to. And then I have a really strong group of friends who are very supportive. But I mean, there are aspects of this that if you're not going through it, um, that it's hard to get people to really, you know, as well-meaning as they are, it's hard to get them to understand kind of like the ways that you feel like you have personally failed yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, from the outside, people are like, you're, you're brave to be doing this. Like, this is, this is great that you're taking these steps and you're like, you know, but I'm failing. Like everyone's super supportive, but it's still, it still can be a very um, lonely process um, mm -hmm. because it's, it's, each story is so unique. Even like other people who are going through IVF, like it's each story is so unique um, when you're dealing with um, fertility issues. Absolutely. You know, it just, you just never freaking know. You just yeah. never freaking know what others are going through and nobody would even believe what you have been through, you know, to get yeah. to even where you are now and having some answers, but still needing some more answers to go forward. Exactly. And, and, and then time just continuously passing by and another birthday comes around, you know, and here we are still seemingly at the same place that we were before. Right. And yeah. So have you had any challenges with reproductive care? Like I know from based on our emails that there are specific things that you have been through in reproductive endocrinologists not being sympathetic towards uh, women who are considered obese or overweight. Yeah. So yeah, I, did, I left that part out. <laughs> I, I blocked it out. Um, no, I, um, so this is my fourth, I think, in, a reproductive endocrinologist. And actually, you know, I think it was, yeah, right. I, that's a big chunk that I left out. So before I actually went to find friends and the reason why I went to find friends to try to do it on my own is that when I went to reproductive endocrinologists, they would say, fine, um, but you have to lose this much weight before we even will begin the process. And it just was like, even if I lose the weight, it's going to take a really long time. I'm approaching 40. I don't believe in like, I don't believe that it's healthy to just sort of drop a lot of weight quickly. Um, so, and then also they weren't sort of taking into account anything, anything about me, whether or not I had comorbid, comorbidities, which I did not at that time. Um, they were not taking into account any of my health is history. They were just sort of like, no, um, lose weight and then, then come back and talk to us. So the reason why this is moving forward is because, you know, like after that, that's when I decided, like, I'm just going to do this on my own um, because I'm not going to get 
respect from any reproductive endocrinologist. Um, but when I ended up at the midwife, um, the second time she said that, you know, these people actually, you know, work with all body types. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, cause I, you know, she asked, have you ever considered IVF? And I said, you know, yes, but I will never consider it again because of the issue around weight. Um, and she said, no, this, this doctor won't, you know, put that on you. Um, but they did send me to a maternal fetal specialist in advance just to like, kind of ask the questions that I felt like the other doctors should have asked, um, around my general health. Um, and the only thing that that doctor said was at, at this point, um, I had a history with high blood pressure. Um, and then I had the diagnosis of multiple myeloma. And the only things that this doctor said was stay on your high blood pressure medicine through the process. Um, because of um, uh, preeclampsia. Um, And then um, she said, make sure you just have a lot of family and friends around you um, since you're doing this alone. Um, So I was like, that's cool, fine. (laughs) Um, You know, when I got to this doctor, she was very worried about the high blood pressure and, you know, began to talk about my weight. And I was like, you know, I, I'm not doing, I'm not, I'm not doing this again. Like if you want to end this conversation, we can, um, because I really actually had no expectation of doing IVF anyway, because of this issue. So if that, if we're going to stay on this, then let's end the conversation. And she didn't end the conversation and we're, we're trying and, you know, I have the things that they say are issues with people who are overweight. I have not had those issues in terms of like, it's all around kind of like being able to produce eggs and ovulation and things to that effect. I have not had issues with that. I have embryos that are there. <laughs> um, so, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see. I'm, I'm eating differently. I'm doing things um, a little bit differently than I did before. But um, I think everything is a slower process. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Mm, Wow. So how would you how would you as a patient would have preferred to be cared for in a situation like this? Because so many women are based on BMI are considered overweight. You know, mm-hmm. so you don't even have to be like obese to be considered overweight, right? For your for your body struck for your body uh, type and your height and you know all those things that come into play for BMI. How would you have preferred to been cared for with this situation, or how would you what what, what would you like to see change with reproductive endocrinologists in that aspect? I know you said you had some thoughts about it. Yeah, I think what's What's important for me in all healthcare um, is that everyone be treated as an individual, that no one be sort of stereotyped or typecast in their healthcare. Um, I think, you know, I've had experiences as someone doing, you know, reproductive care, but then also, you know, as a Black woman in general, I think that there are, and, and as a, a plus size person, 
Um, I think that you get cared for as a stereotype, as a, as an art, you know, like a, mm-hmm. like a, a, a type of person as opposed to an individual. Um, so if they see you, they see your body type, they see, you know, that you're a African-American woman who's plus size, you know, in my case, you know, from the South Bronx, um, you know, you have heart disease, you have diabetes, you know, like, and so people are going to treat you like that. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter sometimes that your medical chart, you know, doesn't reflect those things. Um, it's just, you're, you're a body and, you know, and it's nothing against people who have those conditions. It's just like, I really think that everyone needs to be treated as an individual and to be treated based on what their, their body can and can't do. There are things that my body can do and there are clearly things my body can't do. Um, and so really there's a, there's almost a laziness to these things sometimes that makes medical professionals just sort of gloss over who you actually are and, you know, stereotype you as I said before. So. I think that's my hope in all of this is that everyone can just be seen as an individual and cared for that way. Yeah. Stereotypes are, you know, they're really subtle sometimes. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't even notice it at first. And then you're like, wait a minute, did I just hear that right? Or did they just say that, you know, or Mm -hmm. just the, the, the lack of empathy. I think sometimes that doctors have in their approach and let's be honest, you know, they're trained to detach themselves from emotional, right. emotional right. side of care, right? Right, right. And 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 I just think we could use, they could just give it a little bit. They can give us a little bit of emotion. You know what I mean? Like, come on, yeah. give it a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> it's not going to hurt you or anybody else as long as what you're telling me my protocol is or you're telling me that my diagnosis is, is not a lie or you're painting me this vague picture trying to sugarcoat it for me but you could I think they could just be a little bit more empathetic and then like you said for somebody like yourself who didn't have any problems with egg quality and and egg reserve there mm-hmm. definitely I feel like there definitely could have been some other some other ways to help you with IVF and so it's just I know I, it's frustrating you know yeah. it's just so frustrating you know and then you have the rest of life to deal with when you come out of those doors <laughs> exactly <laughs> That makes yeah. it difficult to, you know, cope and to navigate, you know, all of these things. And so how how are you or how have you been dealing with COVID and still trying to move forward with the next steps and stay on top of your health? Has that been difficult for you? No, oddly, oddly enough, COVID is actually a part of what opened the door for me to be able to do this. Um because a I was working from home there's no way with the job that I have (laughs) that I would have been able to do all of these appointments while working at like being physically at work um Mm -hmm. and then in addition to that the fact that I was home I could give up my car which meant that I could save money like temporarily I have a new car Mm -hmm. but like temporarily give up my car to save money. Um, and then my student loan payments were paused. So all of that meant that I all of a sudden had enough money to pay for sperm, pay for genetic testing, pay for all of the things that insurance didn't pay. You know, thank God 
New York State sort of requires, as of last year, required that um, IVF be paid for by insurance companies, but there's still a lot of money that is involved. And so um, COVID created a scenario where I could actually save enough money to pay for all of those sort of extra expenses that so far, you know, it's somewhere around $6,000 and and counting. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, I, you know, it's, everything has been pretty safe in terms of like the center that I go to, the fertility center I go to, you know, things are very safe there. The, The only thing is that with some of the procedures, they don't allow you to bring anyone with you which has been difficult. Uh, so far, only the um, embryo transfer, they, they allow you to bring one person with you, but all the other pieces, you have to do that alone. So, you know, all of the surgeries that I, you know, all the, the, I think I had like three hysteroscopies, you know, you have to kind of go by yourself and leave by yourself, which is for safety's sake, but it's like a little bit frightening to be alone you know like no one that you know is physically there while you're having all these procedures so that's difficult and Mm -hmm. you know anytime you come out of a procedure in general you feel Mm -hmm. like vulnerable you know yeah very very put on display and in 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 the sense oh yeah so if you're doing it by yourself because of covid and yeah oh wow yeah, but other than that, I mean, it's been fine. You know, I, I I haven't tested positive. I've been able to kind of like safely navigate all of the sort of medical care um, in a safe way. So yeah, that's wonderful because so many other people are having difficulties, and then I've heard some women having to like transfer their eggs to other places. You know, because they've had to switch, you know, reproductive doctors or clinics because something happened and it just turned them off. And then just going through all of it, you you kind of you're always on edge and you're always on guard and you're always protect protect yourself mm-hmm. um, yeah. further pressure and stress and anxiety. So how, what's the process been like for you with the with the sperm donorship? Yeah, so I um like I said, I had a friend who was very much willing to help. Um, but then when I connected with this center, they had a, a very intense process for known donors, um, where we both would have had to go through a lot of like extensive testing, the genetic testing. Um, we both would have had to see a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. Um, we both would have had to hire two lawyers, like separate lawyers, like we couldn't have the same lawyer to kind of sign off on a document. All of that was making the cost mount. So I was like, it's actually cheaper to just have a, a an anonymous donor, mm-hmm. which is not what I wanted at all. Um, I wanted my child to be able to like know who their father was. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very hard decision to make, but it would have held the process process up more. And I think they're actually, in addition to that, my donor is gay. And they said that if the donor is someone who has sex with men, that the testing process is longer and, or there's some complication to it. 
Um, and so diseases and stuff or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of that, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it was just too, too many things. Um, so yeah, so I went with a, a sperm donor. I wanted someone black. Um, I wanted someone, you know, I'm African-American. I wanted someone African-American. And like, as opposed to someone from the continent or someone West, who's from the West Indies or Europe or whatever. Yeah. And, but the problem was when I did the genetic testing, all of the African-American men that I found had the same genetic issues that I had, mm-hmm. um, sickle cell. And then there was like a, a something having to do with retinas. Um, okay. And so I ended up with someone who was black and, but. Haitian American, which is which is gotcha. fine. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, that was so common with Black Americans. Like, yeah. Carrying the trait of it. Oh my gosh, it's so common. I have the trait, and so even a lot of South Asian, they still got him. They still want him to get tested just because we both people of color. You know. Interesting. And, yeah. And my dad, I got the sickle cell trait from my dad's side of the family. Nobody actually has sickle cell, but. We have the trait. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Here we yeah. are, you guys. You know, <laughs> yeah. more testing, more freaking testing. They want to jump through in loops. You know, at the end of the day, it is for the best. Yeah. For the, ve- yeah. For the best thing of the baby um, and the, vi- the viability of the pregnancy, you know, for these things and, and, and avoiding unnecessary miscarriages and pregnancy losses. But you're always like, God dang it. Just did all these tests and stuff. You want me to do another freaking test on my freaking embryos? How many things? How many times are you gonna poke my damn embryos and poke the sperm? Exactly. Oh gosh, always something to test. I know. It's... And I love medicine, but it's like always something to test. Jesus is right. <laughs> it's uh. It's yeah, it's I, I'm just so used to it. And my um one of my coworkers said, you know, I I'm afraid of needles. Like I, I if there's a needle involved, I'm not doing it. That's why I don't go to the doctor. And I was like, you could not live my life. Yeah. <laughs> you would loathe IVF treatments and anything to do with infertility treatments because exactly. I mean, well, she could do an IUI because there, there's there are a lot of most of the time there's no shots for that, but yeah. Oh my gosh, I don't wish it on anybody for any reasons, you know, even if it is, if it, if it is, you know, a situation like yours where you're willing to participate in it because you, you just want to be a um, single mom by choice and stuff, which is incredible, incredible, I think, to make a decision to, that, you know, I, I just think it's so powerful when women and men choose to become parents um, and be single by choice because you're making a decision in it's really in your heart, you know, it, it's not like a surprise pregnancy where it was unexpected, you know, and not that the love is different, but I think that going into it, your perspective is a little bit different and because the desire is so strong, you know, it's, it's beautiful to me. And um, I'm sure our listener friends feel the same way. I've, I've had you, you're you and one other person come on there single by choice. So you, you guys, the stories are so different and unique it's to hear, to hear everybody's different Um paths to parenthood you know some successful and some not so yeah girl so so what are you looking forward to in 2021 besides getting the rest of these tests done honey (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, well, getting done with having to be tested every couple of weeks would be right. great. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I am, I'm still, you know, holding on to hope that I will, you know, be a mother, you know, at least be pregnant at some point this year. Um, yeah. And I am just praying, praying for answered prayers. You know, like there are a lot of people praying for me right now. There are a lot of people rooting for me right now. So I just really am um, trying to just hold on to my faith and my trust um, in the midst of all of this. And, you know, I would love to like have my baby and move to another city. <laughs> I, you know, I work for an elected official who's year you know it's, it's his time is up this year so okay. you know then I can move to a quieter existence <laughs> with my baby that would be wonderful <laughs> so how does that look what, what, what kind of transition will you make career-wise to prepare for your baby I so my background is in ministry in Christian ministry, do faith outreach for the selected official, not naming names, uh, <laughs> but um, no name dropping here. No, 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 no. <laughs> but um, so I do faith outreach. And so my hope is to go back into ministry at full time and um, maybe, you know, go into a, a smaller town, maybe a college town, something that's just a little bit peaceful um they, you know in government when you actually work for the elected person it's not like the next person doesn't usually keep their staff you know they, they transition the staff all the staff out so you know the, there's not really a hope that i would stay on in my position as it ends so it's a good opportunity to try to move back into full-time ministry but we'll see yeah i definitely understand do you have, did you have reservations? I meant to ask you this earlier, but did you have reservations going into being a single mom by choice with being a Christian? No, but I have, I still have um, concerns around how other Christians will see it. Mm -hmm. um, and my friend who I referenced before, who actually um, did sort of a, the turkey baster method um mm -hmm. she was clergy at that time and it took a lot of like working through it to get the congregation on board but she sort of started from the beginning telling them that this was happening telling them like i'm going to have a baby i'm single i'm going to have a baby like in the interview process i she is white the congregation was white so it's a different vibe when you're thinking about um, being black and being in a mm -hmm. black context. Mm -hmm. um, so it, there was anxiety mostly. I, I paused in some of my process when I got the job that I had because I was very concerned about being pregnant and doing faith outreach and going and speaking in a congregation and being pregnant and not being married. Mm -hmm. So it's not like my own belief system, but understanding that other people's belief system may cause them to have some judgment around like um, a pregnant, pregnant people in general, even, you know, some of my friends who yeah. are married and pregnant and clergy 
there, there's some discomfort because general discomfort around women's bodies <laughs> in the Christian context, unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's not my belief system. It's just sort of like what happens when you encounter other people's belief systems. Yeah. But would you being a leader, I, I could see why that you will be concerned with the viewpoints of others and, you know, and, and your position as a clergy, clergy woman. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm rooting for you, girl. I and appreciate it. Keep me, and you make sure you keep me updated on your progress, you know, as the months come along and stuff. And spring will be here soon, so we'll all be able to get a little bit more fresh air and won't have so much cabin fever, fever either. But, <laughs> yeah, so if you, if you had anything that you could say to a, a, another fertility friend who may be in a similar position as you, or who's just right in the thick of it like you are? Is there a word of encouragement that you would that you would give someone? I think this is a real practice in learning how to have patience and trust. It is also a real process in um, building your own like internal fortitude. Um, and it's you know really I guess I would say. If you are someone who needs to know what's going to happen, (laughs) this is not the process for you. Uh, You you, you need to be able to anticipate every step of the way. Yeah, don't. I would say don't do it (laughs) Um, because or, you know, get ready for that part of yourself to to grow and stretch because you there's nothing that you can know in advance about this. You have to take everything. Like I say all the time, it's 15 steps at a time. <laughs> yeah. Tell the people about it because it's the truth. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, I got my fingers crossed for you, girl. And I hope that you get your heart's desire and you can move forward with your, with your little baby and maybe for one day find love too right in the middle of it. Wouldn't that be something, you know? All of the eggs at the same time. You know, life is funny like that sometimes. <laughs> I, you know, I claim it, you know, just, yeah. Your, your mouth to God's ears, as people would say. <laughs> if you enjoyed today's episode, friend, take a screenshot and let me know on Instagram and tag Infertility and Me Podcast. You can also reach me at infertilityandmepodcast.com with your questions, comments, and feedback. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.